0: Today and tomorrow, and then we will be off until the Monday after Thanksgiving. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. It's Thanksgiving week. We have news to discuss. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Courtney Dostoffi. Layla Tassi took the holiday week off. Let's go. This first story we are discussing today is surprising. Only because their motivation is so naked, they openly admit they're doing it because they've received so many calls from lobbyists, not citizens, lobbyists. What ridiculous actions are the Ohio House Republicans taking to get more tobacco into the hands of more people, Laura?
3: Yeah, I don't see a regular citizen calling up their representative and say, please go easier on the tobacco companies, but they want to override Mike DeWine's veto from the budget bill in June and make it illegal for cities to pass stricter tobacco bans than what is in the state law. Now, remember the budget bill is like a back and forth process. Mike DeWine puts out his version, then there's a House and a Senate version. And DeWine originally proposed a statewide ban on flavored tobacco. And lawmakers significantly weakened it. And the issue is kids, right? Like if you make tobacco not taste like tobacco, they'll be more likely to to use it. What ended up passing in the budget would have barred local governments from imposing their own more restrictive tobacco ideas. This is when some cities in Ohio already have adopted bans on the sale of flavored tobacco or are considering them. And then DeWine used his line item veto to take that out of the budget. Obviously, this has nothing to do with the budget of the state. It shouldn't have been in the budget to begin with. But now the legislature wants to overrule DeWine and keep the ban because, yes, they've gotten so many businesses and so many lobbyists calling them and saying, we don't want this.
0: Think about it, though. There, w- One of the legislators said it. He was quoted mm-hmm. saying it. I have yeah. never received more calls from lobbyists than I've gotten on this. We have to do something. It is unbelievable that they're that dumb that they stated it. We all know they're in the pockets of lobbyists. They certainly aren't serving the public, but he said it. So it's not about preserving people from addiction to tobacco. It's not about keeping kids from getting tobacco. It's about serving the masters of the Ohio legislature, the business interests, and the lobbyists. This is all the evidence you need to know We are completely broken in our legislature. This is an absolute wrong. DeWine did the right thing. If cities Uh are trying to preserve the health of children and stop people from heading down a path toward lung cancer, they should be allowed. Instead, the moneyed interests have called them and they're calling in such large numbers that they have to do something.
3: Yeah, it's ridiculous, really. And the guy Ferguson who said this, he's been in the legislature since 2021, so not a whole lot of time here. So maybe he hasn't learned to keep his mouth shut where <laughs> his loyalties are. But we don't know if there's enough supporters of a preemption to get this passed. But we do know if the Republicans are told to vote one way, they normally do, and they've got this super majority because of gerrymandering in Ohio. So if they want to get it done they will they said they've gotten a lot of lo- letters from business owners asking them to pass this override I-, I just i don't know what kind of businesses are they like corner stores trying to sell cigarettes to kids I, this is not a good idea
0: this everybody who votes for this is voting for more death. You're voting right. for lung cancer. I'm a, I'm going to override your veto, Governor Dewine. I want more people to die of lung cancer. They cannot articulate a reason. So what they said was the truth. I'm getting more calls from <laughs> lobbyists than I've ever gotten before. Unbelievable story. I cannot believe the guy was so dumb that he said the truth. But. For everybody that wants to know about how broken our legislature is, there it is. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The experts say not to use this is evidence of climate change, but how can you not? What does the latest plant hardiness map from the USDA show for Ohio, and how has our growing zone evolved since the 1990 and 2012 maps? Lisa.
1: Yeah, the U.S. Uh, Department of Agriculture released an updated plant hardiness map last week. It's the first one since 2012. And for those of you who don't know, the plant hardiness map has 13 zones. Each represents 10 degrees Fahrenheit. And then there are sub zones like A and B where the bands of like five degrees Fahrenheit difference. So half of the United States has shifted into a warmer half zone that signifies an overall warming of zero to five degrees in those regions. Uh, Chris Daly, who's the founder of PRISM Climate Group at Oregon State University, he helped produce the new map with the USDA. And he says, don't go run out and buy new plants right away. There's only very little warming change. And he says, climate change is real, but the map isn't a good indicator. They only used the lowest winter temperatures in the past 30 years to craft the new map. So that would be 1991 to 2020. And so he said that unusually cold weather in the 1970s and 80s was not included in this new map. Ohio, the 2012 map moved from Zone 5 to Zone 6 from 1991 to 2012, but with more precise data now in 2023, almost the whole state of Ohio is in Zone 6. So that's negative 10 to zero degrees Fahrenheit. My zip code 44124 is zone 6A. That's negative 10 to negative 5 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, that's mostly northeast and northwest and central Ohio. There's also 7A, which is hotter. That's zero to 5 degrees, and that's a narrow strip of greater Cleveland, inland from Lake Erie, and the southern tip of Ohio.
0: Laura, you must be in that warmer zone, right? Because you're close to the to the lake. So, same with you, Courtney. You probably are in that zone as well.
2: Definitely. And, and you can tell with the plants. It's its its own little kind of environment right by the water. It is warmer.
0: I, uh, any- I Anybody that's lived here for any amount of time knows that our growing season is longer and that we are warmer. This is more confirmation of that. I just was surprised at how far the zone had moved close to the lake.
1: And it's weird how there's that weird band, like there's a, you know, there's that weird band that goes from greater Cleveland all the way down to the Southern tip of Ohio. So there's also a zone 6B, which is negative five to zero. That's in Southern Ohio, but also parts of Northern Ohio as well, including most of Cuyahoga and Lake County. So type in your zip code. Mine was 6A. Uh, Apparently people around me are 6B.
0: Look, it's November uh... 20th. How many frosts have we had?
3: There's one this morning. Yeah. I think I've maybe noticed one at my house. And I did plant some hibiscus this fall. So, um, I mean, the deer then went to town on it. But I, I always see that, you know, in late summer, those big pink flowers. And I was like, it feels so tropical. But I've seen them grow, like, right along Lake Road in Bay Village. So we'll see if it works.
0: Yeah, it just seems that 25 years ago... We would have had frost every day for weeks by now, and Mm -hmm. we're just—we've seen very temperate weather.
3: I played tennis both days, Saturday and Sunday. It was (laughs) and it was in a skirt. It was great. It
0: was a little bit of a bite in the air, though. It Mm -hmm. wasn't. It wasn't balmy. You're listening to today in Ohio. Congressman Max Miller visited Israel last week and told reporter Sabrina Eaton what he saw. What was his takeaway, Courtney, and how does it compare to what some other elected leaders think of the Israel-Hamas war situation?
2: Yeah, the U.S. representative from Rocky River, Max Miller, he was part of this bipartisan congressional delegation that went to Tel Aviv last weekend. It was apparently a trip that the U.S. Defense Department didn't want to happen, but Miller said it was important for lawmakers to see what was happening on the ground. And for Miller in particular, he said it was important that he went personally because he's only he's one of only two Republican Jews in Congress. So this group met with Benjamin Netanyahu on this trip and Netanyahu showed them a video of atrocities committed by Hamas in, in, in recent weeks. And and Miller and this group also met with Israel's defense minister and with some families of hostages who have been taken with. Taken by Hamas, Miller recounted some of the atrocities he said he learned about on this trip. You know, torture, just just awful stuff uh, happening to Israeli folks, and and he called this war an existential one, a war for the soul of the world. He said, you know, for one, Miller Miller came out kind of questioning the Gaza Health Ministry's fatality numbers here. And, and that organization has reported 10,000 Palestinian deaths over the last you know month or so. And, and Miller tells us he believes many of those killed have been Hamas terrorists, not innocent civilians. And he said the U.S. doesn't trust a group that puts its munitions in mosques, churches, and hospitals. So Miller's talking about these numbers being inflated. It's worth noting that, that Biden has also been skeptical of some of these numbers, uh, though a Washington Post fact check tells us that the the Gaza Health Ministry has a pretty good track record historically with death estimates.
0: The the Hamas atrocities are almost indescribable. He described some of them for Sabrina, and we've we've read them. And this was this is war crimes. It's heinous, and you got to feel for Israel because they they've gone in to try and eradicate this threat. And they got to go where the threat is. And they're saying it's in hospitals and places. The New York Times had a story. They, they went into Gaza and visited the hospital and described that everything has just been bombed into to bits. But there's fear that because of that tunnel system that Hamas can pop up anywhere and continue to commit its atrocities. Horrible situation. It was interesting to read his perspective.
2: Yeah, and, and Miller talked about those tunnels, too. That's something Biden has, has called a crime for, because of those locations under hospitals and, and civilian areas. And Miller also told us it's, it's his belief the battle's taking so long because Israel's trying to save every civilian they can. And Miller told us that Israel says they're meeting a quota they have of evacuating 100,000 people a day from, from the war zone.
0: You can read the story. It's on Cleveland.com, and you're listening to Today in Ohio. Now that Ohioans have approved legalizing marijuana, might attitudes change on some other drugs from which the dangers have been overblown for decades? I'm talking about LSD, magic mushrooms, and ketamine, Laura.
3: Apparently, these drugs can be really successful mental health treatments. And so the FDA and institutions like the Cleveland Clinic are doing more and more research on them, more and more trials. And they think that psychedelic drugs could be a potential game changer for psychiatry. They work when a lot of other medications don't. For example, patients with clinical depression, they've tried a lot of things in therapy. They found relief for the first time in decades. And the idea is these drugs make your brain more moldable and plastic, kind of. And then you have therapy after the fact. And so Lutheran Hospital has been a forerunner in this and they're looking at the potential benefits of psychedelic drugs. It's kind of on a different track than marijuana because it's not like this is a ballot issue that people are trying to use LSD for recreational purposes. We don't see that. What we have is very specific clinical uses of these drugs.
0: Yeah, I don't see a day when any of these would be just recreationally available. I've read a lot about them, though, and there are people, one use of magic mushrooms, it reprograms their brain and whatever problem they were dealing with is gone. And the fact that we've villainized them has Mm -hmm. given them this horrible stigma where scientists believe there's a real use for them in the right kind of controlled settings. I guess magic mushrooms could become legal recreationally because in other states they are, but LSD and ketamine probably not.
3: No, because I mean, I I don't, I've never used these drugs. I've never had an experience with them, but you hear really scary stories about people who are using them for fun, right? And they're not using the right dosage and they seem really, they seem dangerous if you don't know what you're doing. And so that's why these are with doctors in trials alongside psychotherapy and being used for really specific purposes, but they seem very promising. And just because there's a stigma against some drug or we didn't understand it in the past, it doesn't mean we shouldn't be able to use it going forward. So I'm really glad the FDA is allowing more trials and that doctors are optimistic about what we could do in the future.
0: Yeah, the, Do- the best way to understand it is read some first-person accounts of people who talk about how much it helped them improve their lives. Go ahead, Lisa.
3: No, I was
1: just going to say Dr. Timothy Leary is probably saying, I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> But even recreationally, I mean, you know, I've, I've dropped acid a few times in college and we always did it in a controlled environment. You know, we, one person was there to watch us and we stayed in one place. And so even recreationally, although most people, you know, wouldn't think that, but yeah, it's it, in controlled situations, it can be very enlightening.
0: And Cleveland is at the center of some of that research. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Laura got the first outrage story. Lisa, you get the second one. It's been three years since the feds raided the home of Mike DeWine's public utilities chief, Sam Randazzo. Later, evidence showed him receiving a four million dollar bribe from First Energy. Reporter Jake Zuckerman took a look at the status of the case, which we might hope we we hoped might answer the question on why this guy has not been charged. What do we learn, Lisa? We didn't learn a whole lot, unfortunately.
1: And yes, it was three years ago on November 17th, where the FBI came knocking on Sam Randazzo's Columbus home. And we've... Pretty much heard nothing since then. The U.S. Attorney for the Southern District, Ken Parker, says only that the probe is ongoing. That's all he's going to tell us. He has asked the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio to halt their own investigation because it feels like it's interfering with the federal investigation. He has denied freedom of information requests for Larry Householder trial and case materials, but we're running up against a deadline. Prosecutors have five years from the time of the last act of alleged conspiracy to file charges of racketeering. That would give us a rough deadline of July... Between July and November of 2024, we do have civil suits ongoing uh, filed by investors. Investor plaintiffs' attorneys say Randazzo is slow walking requests for evidence in their case. Special Master Sean Judge agreed with that assessment. He says that Ron Randazzo is showing wanton disregard for orders to produce documents in the lawsuit. Now, Randazzo's attorney Jeff Corcoran says we shouldn't assume that that 4.3 million dollars was a bribe it was part of a consulting agreement with First Energy dating back to 2013 and they say that the payment was a specified termination fee
0: yeah yeah that's what they say i i just i cannot believe how how slow the prosecution has been on this. I was talking to one of the editors in the newsroom, and he pointed out that back in the day of the Cuyahoga County corruption case, Ann Roland, the prosecutor, she indicted 60 plus people in short order, moved all their cases along with, with some help, but moved them along, got the case wrapped up, and it was so much more branched than this case. There were so many different tendrils that she had to go, to go follow and she did it much more quickly than this single case. I just don't understand what's going on with this prosecution and I'm I, I'm starting to think that because these guys are wealthy, they're getting a different level of treatment. They'll never get indicted. They're going to get off and it's going to be justice denied for the ratepayers of Ohio.
1: And we've seen in evidence from the Householder uh, trial and other things, I mean, I kind of constructed a timeline. This started back in December of 2018 when First Energy CEO Chuck Jones and lobbyist Mike Dowling went to Randazzo's home after a dinner with Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor Husted. And then there were texts later that night between Jones and Randazzo that mentioned the $4.3 million in payment over six years. Jones said, don't forget about us or Hurricane Chuck will come to your doorstep.
0: (laughs) I got an interesting email suggesting that this could play into the Senate race next year because Sherrod Brown was one of the ones that nominated this prosecutor. So it's kind of his fault this person was saying that these guys are not coming to justice. You do wonder why Sherrod isn't calling the, the attorney general to say, hey, this is ridiculous. My state deserves justice. And you're now pushing the statute of limitations. These guys could get off scot-free for one of the biggest crimes ever ever to take place in this state. Be interesting to see if the, the Republicans running for Senate use that against Sherrod because this prosecutor in the Southern District just is not doing his job. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We talked last week about Goodyear announcing a transformation plan with the coming departure of its long-term CEO but I don't think this is what we expected. What drastic move did Goodyear announce Thursday, Courtney?
2: Yeah, Goodyear is planning to close down two of its tire plants. These are located in Germany, And these closures are supposed to happen over the next few years. And with this move comes a cut of 1,750 jobs. Now, most of those people are Goodyear employees, but it does involve a few hundred contractors. And like you said, this plan came out in Goodyear's SEC filings last week. And it was one day after we learned about their new transformation plan and that their CEO of 14 years, Rich Kramer, would step down next year. Now that transformation plan, you know, it aims to cut costs, restructure debt, boost revenues and, and shake up Good, Good Year's chemical business. But like you said, this was a little bit of an unexpected add-on. Its tire manufacturing plant in Fulda, Germany will close its doors by 2025. And it's one of its facilities in Furstenwald, Germany will close by the end of 2027.
0: Yeah, I, it just was surprising coming on the heels of their big optimistic announcement about their bright and rosy future, and then a day later they're shutting down some huge plants. I mean, this is not a small number of employees that will be out of work.
2: No, I guess maybe cost cutting is we're seeing that that in action now. Goodyear says that that closing the plants will cost about you know, just under $600 million, but it's going to save them an expected $60 million to $120 million a year.
0: Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The late Victor Schreckengost is one of Cleveland's most renowned artists. How is the city honoring him in a way that should spread some awareness of his legacy? Lisa.
1: Yeah, they dug up an old sculpture of his and reinstalled it at Cleveland Hopkins Airport. This was a 1955 Schreckengoss sculpture called Time and Space, and it was reinstalled at Hopkins Airport after being in storage since the 1990s when it was taken down as the as the airport was getting renovated. It's an aluminum and steel ribbon. It's very long. I mean, it's like a mural and it has accents that depict the sun and moon and earth and the 12 zodiac signs. Its new home is overlooking the center of the departure level of the airport. It's right opposite the stairs and escalators that lead to the parking garage and the RTA Red Line. So a lot of eyes will be on it. Now, Schreckengost is a much beloved Cleveland industrial artist and designer. He died in 2008 2008 at the age of 101. He was a longtime teacher at the Cleveland Art Institute and he founded the industrial design department there. So this, I don't know if they forgot about this sculpture because the art department of the city say they rediscovered it in storage. And in 2015, the city approved $60,000 to restore it. And then last year they approved $160,000 to reinstall it at
0: Hopkins. It's odd how everybody seemed to disrespect him for a little while. The elephant sculptures on the Natural History Museum, they had been at the zoo for years, and they took Mm -hmm. those down and hit them away. And they're phenomenal. It's so good to see that they're back out. One of the best art museum exhibits I ever went to was dedicated to him because he dabbled in everything. He made toy cars that were famous for generations. He had these special bowls that he's renowned for. He just did a lot of different things. It was very dynamic it's so cool that they put this back up out at the airport i hope it i hope it survives whatever the new plan for the airport is i hope they don't put it away when they start renovating and lock it up for another few decades And as you
1: said, the mammoth and mastodon that he created were originally at the zoo, and then they were finally relocated to the Natural History Museum. They've been there since 2015. And you can see them on East Boulevard as you're driving past the front of the museum. So, yeah, this is very exciting. I I would think that Schreckengost, you know, if people had really noticed him for his influence in the world, he was kind of like the godfather of steampunk.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's very cool. I wish they would come back and do a similar exhibit because it really was Terrific. And it was one you could take kids to because it was very dynamic. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We have tent cities popping popping up in Cleveland this year, something that I just don't remember having this kind of a visibility in the past. Or is that a sign that the city's homeless population is rapidly growing and has nowhere to go?
3: Well, I think they're growing and Cuyahoga County doesn't have enough money to serve the population it already has. So there are more people who need help and less help to give. And the result is tent cities and families with kids sleeping on the street and it's a really disturbing pictures that we we have on cleveland.com and in the Plain Dealer. But people are struggling to find this affordable housing. They're staying longer in shelters. That limits the number of available shelter beds at any time. They're not even taking referrals right now. There's a wait list of 47 families as of November 15th uh, in the family shelter system. And that rapid rehousing program, that's kind of the linchpin of Cuyahoga County's approach to this, is not accepting Referrals. And one of the reasons is that the ARPA money ran out. And they just, they, they, we don't have enough money in our county to serve the need that we have. We depend on federal funds and we don't have any more CARES money.
0: Yeah, I. this was a very disturbing story because we have no solution. I mean, they, everybody right. that Lucas talks to basically says, yeah, we're, we're out. Chris Renane has added, what, a million or two to the Three budget? Three
3: million, yeah, for to, next year that they want to add. Which but is that good. Still won't fix everything.
0: Yeah, it's good, but it's not nearly enough. And what, what I remembered, I couldn't remember the year, but I found it this morning that we did a story not that long ago, in which they were predicting they would get rid of long-term homelessness in this city by the year 2020. We reported that in 2017. And we're going to go back and look what happened to that because Mm -hmm. we have tent cities springing up. Readers have sent notes saying, what's going on? I've never seen this before. There's nowhere else for these folks to go. And we're talking about families.
3: Right. And we, I mean, we, used to be downtown on Superior Avenue, right to where we're talking about, near the Cosgrove Center. And I used to walk that route regularly, even in the winter. I started in two thousand seven. I've never seen this. So this seems worse than it's been in Ever. my memory of downtown. Yeah.
0: yeah, and that's what the that's what the guy said in the story. We've never seen this. I've never seen this in my years as head of the the coalition. So I hope this sparks some action. But you know, it's in the hands of the county council and we've shown Time and time again, they just don't do anything. They didn't. They won't fix I mean, the jail. They won't deal with the elections office. They squandered sixty-six million dollars on slush funds. Imagine what that could have done for the homeless. And you, you, you just won't see them grabbing this and running with it because they're utter failures at their role.
3: And This is a lot of nonprofits work with this, right? And there's such things as seasonal shelters that churches try to open up for the winter when it's you know dangerous to sleep outside, and they. They have housing violations. They can't house people because they're not up to code, but it's like, you know, catch 22. It might not be up to code. It might be better than sleeping in the cold. So I'm hoping that people saw this and really removed moved. This is the time of year everybody's looking to do something good for humanity, that there's you know, some kind of outrage here, that people say that we, we won't stand for this, not in Cleveland.
0: Man, great job by Lucas to put it all together. You can read it on cleveland.com. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This is from last week, but it's worth talking about. How did a Cleveland police officer nearly die in a freak midair accident? And how have people come together to help her along to what looks like is going to be a full recovery? Courtney.
2: Yeah, we're talking about Ashley Shoot. Uh, apologies if I pronounce that incorrectly. But she's been a Cleveland police officer for five years. And she just she just went went through it um, a month ago out in Draper, Utah. She was she was involved in a deadly midair paragliding accident out there and she's been receiving treatment and last week she was finally able to make her way home. She arrived at the Akron Fulton Airport on Thursday to a warm welcome. There was more than two dozen family members there to welcome her back and, and fellow police officers from the Cleveland Police Department She'd been hospitalized, and what happened was she and another person were paragliding tandem style when they crashed into a hang glider out west, and her paragliding partner, Joshua Ellison, died in that collision. The hang glider was also hurt. Ashley Shute was in critical condition, but she was nursed back to health, and and she's made her return. Your husband, who we talked to last week, said that getting her to the hospital immediately after that accident was, was really crucial for her recovery. She was apparently paralyzed by this crash and, and doctors were, were luckily able to reverse her paralysis by doing a spinal cord surgery on her.
0: Yeah, that was the most jarring part of it. She was going to be paralyzed, but because they got to her quickly and did that spinal cord surgery, she's going to be fully back. I mean, she, it sounds like she'll have a full recovery in an accident, like you said, killed somebody else. I, I can't imagine how terrifying that would be and to be up there, you know, floating around and then crash into somebody like that and fall to the ground below.
2: Yeah, very scary. She, she's worked in two of Cleveland's police districts. The head of the police union, Jeff Falmer, said, you know, she's, she's loved by everyone around here. There's already been $23,000 raised for her care. And, and that trip home um, would have cost her, her, her family at least $50,000. But a Tampa based air ambulance airline flew her back home for free.
0: So there you go. Good news story to start the week. That's a good way to start the week. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening. Come back tomorrow. It's our final episode of the week. You're listening to Today in Ohio.